Well, I'm enjoying this series. We had tons of guests today. Don't apologize for talking about this. God always first, because I believe it. I live it. We live it at our house. And I want to challenge you about it. I'm as passionate about this as I am any other topic that I prepare. So we're in that series. You remember last week we talked about the release and the order. God's into order and, and he wants first things. Remember that? And so today we're going to talk about the return, and then the next week we'll talk about the reward for God's firstness. And I think I started or ended with this verse last week, but I want to come back to it, just a portion. This is from the message paraphrase, not a, not a translation, but a pastor's paraphrase, I call it. And it reads this way. Now, now, God spoke all these words. That ought to get your attention, agree? I mean, if, if God spoke these words, he, his word says, my words will never pass away. Agreed? He spoke these words. I am, big words, whoo, I am God, your God. Did you know that? Verse three, no other gods, only me. Is that clear? No other gods but me. I stand alone. I am the only I am. So I wanna begin and I'll insert this during and probably come back to it at the end, but I wanna ask you honestly. I can't answer this for you, but deeply honestly, would you answer something in your heart today? Deep, deep from your heart, as clear as you see, as you know. What place is God in your life, in your home, in your family? Not talking about what was or what will be, but I mean right now, present tense. Because he is in a place right now in your life, in your home, in your family. I love it when people send me helpful things that help me prepare sermons, messages, memorials, whatever it may be. And in the last week, someone has sent me a couple of things uh, that I think are appropriate to share. I shared this at, at the Dorcas Dalton's memorial this week, and I want to give it with a twist. But, and this was sent to me with the, with the heading, God First. So the first one was a testimony of the Ohio State quarterback from a week ago, C.J. Stroud, and his friend, Cam Babb. Has anybody seen that online? And it was their radiant testimony of Jesus first in their life. It was remarkable. What blew me away was that the reporters wouldn't let it go. They kept asking them about issues of faith. Can you believe that? Usually when you mention the name of Jesus in public, they can't change the subject fast enough. But they kept drilling down, drilling down. And I didn't really know his story. I remember there was some five-star recruit years ago that got hurt, and I, but I didn't realize that, that, that Cam came as a five-star recruit. And over the course of the year, I think in, in his senior year, he had an ACL, but he tore his ACL two, twice in each, in each knee. So he had a total of four surgeries for that, plus other cleanup stuff. Think about that. So he was giving his testimony. So I was also sent something called the moment. And I just, and I did the best of my ability to go and pick out some key phrases from that verbatim if I could. But I want you to think about it in this light, God first. So this is where Cam was on the camera himself. They showed the touchdown that he caught, which was the first one in his career. You know, he's a 50 year senior. I mean, remarkable. But listen, listen to some words. He said, his words, not mine. He said, after my third ACL injury, that's when I totally surrendered my life to him. He changed everything about me. He is now my hope, my life, my savior, my Lord, Jesus Christ. The only word, oh, this is so appropriate. The only word I can think of is thankfulness. 
I'm full of thanksgiving. And I want to be able to tell the world about him because without Jesus Christ, I'm nothing. And I want to come back to this phrase. My hope is truly in Jesus and not in myself and not even in football. I just created some Ohio State fans. Joel admitted that he could root for that testimony today. I was going to ride Joel yesterday, but after the way Ohio State played, I thought we didn't have any room to talk, did we? But then he also alluded to John 16, 33, when it says, basically, in this world, he said, this became real for me. In this world, you will have trouble. But Jesus said, take heart. I have overcome the world. Yeah. Hey, and he, but, but, you know, has he overcome in your life? He'll only overcome in your life and family when he's first. Hey, I jotted down somewhere. I missed the first service. But don't kid yourself. If you've got kids and grands hanging around you, they know where the place God is in your life. In fact, I could ask them, hey, is Jesus first in your daddy, mommy, the grand life? I could see him. <laughs> mommy and daddy had a fight on the way to church today. That's the kind of stuff they say. They send me notes from the kids department and we collect all those nuggets and they may be used against you at the least appropriate time. <laughs> all right. I'm so excited about this message because here's the breaking news. I know you love that phrase. This series is not about a guilt trip. You don't need to say ouch or oh, no. But I'll call it a hot tip series. Are you into hot tips? Yep. That means what can I do better? How can I be better? What, what can I do? The Holy Spirit does indeed bring conviction but never confuse that with the condemnation. That's what the devil does. Yeah. He condemns you. The Holy Spirit wants to make adjustments in your life. And it's always for your good. Whether you understand it or not, it's for your good. So I'm doing my best to release truth in this series for you and yours to consider. I don't know what you'll do about it. I hope after the message today on the way home around the dinner table, you'll talk about this with your family, with your kids. And I've come to this conclusion. Follow me. Your point of surrender... is what is right in your life right now. And your point of surrender could be what's wrong in your life right now because of what you're surrendering to. No other gods, only me. Last week, I think I touched on it. We believe absolutely that there's a point of surrender, just like Cam said. After that third, I, I, was, I didn't know where to turn. And he said, I surrendered, I sold out. I gave him everything. That's a point of surrender. But it's a whole nother thing today to be in a posture of surrender. And the posture means God is always first. He's not second. He's not third. He's not after the kids. He's not. He's first. How about your point of surrender? So God always first. That's our series, week two. And last week we talked about the importance and the power of releasing the first. And I coined a phrase that I wasn't in my spell check, but it sure is now. God's firstness. Check it out, and if it's not there, add it. You ought to write that somewhere on your mirror, on your dash. God's firstness. The release order is huge to God. So not legalism. 
But you gotta settle that in your heart. Nobody can settle that for you. It doesn't matter what your parents or grand does. You've gotta settle it. God is always first in your life, in your home. He's either first or he isn't. There's only one first place. God says, that's my throne in your life. I'll occupy my throne of firstness. So today we're looking at the importance of, yes, releasing the first and returning it to God. Not giving it. We are returning it. And I want to teach you again. This is not just a play on words. Words matter. I'm a writer. Words matter. We are not giving God. We are returning what belongs to God. It's not our tithe that we give. It's our tithe, which is God's tithe. That's what we return. It's between you and him. It's a faith-building discipline, if you will. It's an exercise of hope and trust. And God's firstness is a discipline in their life. And I want to tell you, one of the most miserable things in the world is to spend time with kids that aren't ever disciplined. And there's some spiritual bats, not bats, they're in the belfry, but there's some spiritual brats running around who haven't established God first, and it's about me, 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 me. They know all this stuff, 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 but they're not applying, and they're bloated and stuffed up. So this declares, God is my source. He's always good. I totally trust him. I've settled it. He's first, and I entrust what is his to him, believing that he'll take care of the rest. When I was writing this, I thought it'd be a great thing to have Pastor Joel come up and share his testimony. He shared it in years past, but it was remarkable when Joel and Lisa came to us, they knew a lot about Jesus, but really didn't know him, know him, know him in relationship. So tell us about what God has done and is doing in your life. Thank you. All right, will do. And yes, I can be a fan of, fan of Cam Bad. That's where it stops, though. I don't want to go any further than that. But uh, yeah, so as Pastor said, he asked me to, to share a little bit and was thinking back and it, becomes harder to think back that far as I get older, but back in high school as I was starting to think about what am I going to do beyond high school, what am I going to study, where am I going to go career-wise, I can, I can remember sitting in my dad's office, he was teacher and guidance counselor, and I was probably in there trying to get out of study hall or skipping some class, but I was in his office, so I'm flipping through a magazine, some news mag- magazine, and it happened to have a list of the, the top, uh, top-rated jobs top-rated vocations at that time. And computer programmer was number one. That's where home computers were becoming really big, and so no surprise there. And the second one was actuary. If you don't know what that is, that's the statistics and number crunchers for insurance companies. Um, And the the line that stuck out to me was that high pay, low stress. Specifically, the high pay. Because that's, that's what I thought. Isn't that what you look for in a job? Something that's paying good. Uh, why wouldn't I make as much money as possible? But it's kind of funny, but in all seriousness, as I look back and I think about that, that was probably the first decision that I made, the first significant decision I made where money was at the root of the decision. And although I didn't say this, I didn't even think it, I believe it really began the process for me of surrendering to God or surrendering to money as my God. Scary place to be, but I, but I can look back and I can see that, that that was the start of it. And that led to, you know, going to college to study for that and for math and computers, and which led to a job in, in uh, Carolina. And, you know, 
about this time every year, I start thinking to myself, tell me again why we moved back from Carolina back here. But I'll, I'll tell you about that. But so we moved to Carolina. Life is great. Two professional incomes and cheap rent and a brand new apartment, no car payments. I mean, man, life in Carolina and God's country, sunny so much more than it is here. Um, but it was just a great time. But yet there was one big issue. And basically, just about every day, I would go through our income versus our expenses, basically doing a whole budgeting thing because I had this weight, I had this burden of amassing a fortune, amassing money. And for me, it was about security. It wasn't even necessarily about spending it. It was about having security. But yet, that was my focus. Money was my focus. There was a pride that crept in in regards to that. And so that was kind of how our first couple years of, of marriage were with me with this kind of secret weight or, uh, or burden on my shoulders. And there came a time then after a couple years there, we started thinking about having a family, having kids, and um, a couple, couple events led us to the decision we, were, we wanted to come back home. Both of us grew up close to our grandparents and our cousins, and we wanted our kids to have the same thing. And so made that decision we were gonna move back home, and I, I remember going in to talk to my, my manager that day or my supervisor to let her know that we had made this decision I was gonna be leaving, leaving the company. And, and I was in a, a somewhat, somewhat favorable position at that time doing what I did for the company. And so I went in and explained to her we were gonna be moving back home. And she said, well, what would it take to keep you here? And I said, well, I, I really don't think it's about the money. We just know it's the right decision. And we've, we've already made up our mind. And then I walked out of the, her office and I kind of hit myself in the face like, what did you just say? She just said, what would it take? And I said, it's not about the money. Um, and I can see, looking back at the time, I didn't realize it, but I can see looking back that obviously God had been working in me and, and was starting to do something, uh, do something within me. But regardless, we moved back home. And, and even being back home, uh, we were blessed within a very short time. We moved back home. We were back to, to two professional incomes. Lisa was teaching. I was working for a software company. And... Um, Life was good, but yet this daily, literally, this daily burden was still there. Do we have enough? Is there going to be enough when retirement comes? You know, how big can I make this nest egg? That type of thing. Um, so we're, we're working our jobs, and needless to say, she's teaching in Mount Eaton, a, a small school, and I was working for a company that was, I was the 10th employee. Both places had somebody that attended here that invited us to the Easter drama that we used to do years back. And it was at that point that religion became relationship. We had grown up going to church and knew in our head and we were good people, but when we came here, that we got it. We said yes to Jesus and, and everything became different. So we started to, to do our best to live that life of not just Jesus as our savior, but as our Lord and surrendering to him. And I could still remember at, this, at the South Campus, um, our previous church, I can remember kind of where I was at that Sunday morning when I really felt impressed upon my heart. God saying, I'm sorry, Pastor, I don't even remember what you were preaching about. But um, it might have been about surrender, but I remember feeling impressed upon my heart from the Lord. If you're gonna surrender yourself totally to me, that means your finances as well. And up to that point, I won't even say that God got the leftovers. He didn't, he got scraps, if that. And I'm not talking Miss Dixie's scraps, which are really good after Sunday lunch. I'm, I'm talking, he, I was embarrassed um, with what we had given to the Lord through churches and, and charities and all that. And so I was convicted 
And Lisa and I made a decision together at that, at that time that we were gonna start to return the tithe to God. And I will tell you that it was, it was a difficult time for me because I had never written a check that big and not received something tangibly in return, handed back to me for it. And I've, I've joked many times that um, whoever was counting offering at the time probably couldn't read the check because it was probably a little shaky as I was writing it. But I can tell you this, as sure as I am standing here today, that when we made that decision and when we put that check in the offering basket that morning, that there was literally a weight lifted from me. There was literally a burden lifted from me. Like it was, it was almost, no it was, it was a tangible, like I could sense something had changed, something had shifted because of that. And I, we had no reason to be, to be consumed with money. I mean, we were in a good position, but yet it, I was bound up by it. It was, it, there were chains that were around me and when we made that decision, those were released, those were loosed and you can't talk me out of it. There was an encounter there and my surrender changed, my surrender and obviously every, every day we're working out our surrender, we're, we're surrendering more and more of ourselves. But that day we surrendered our finances to the Lord as well and we, we truly put him first, not just compartmentally but in every area. And can I tell you, and he's been faithful since he's been, but I could see his faithfulness from that time moving forward of how he was gonna live true to his word that says, test me in this. That says, see, see if you can outgive me. That's my pastor's paraphrase. But he's, he was very real and has continued to be real. And at that time, we were, we were both working Lisa was teaching and I was working for the software company still at the time and we had made the decision um, when God blessed us with Lisa being pregnant with Hannah, that our, our oldest, that she was gonna come home from teaching. So two professional incomes became one professional income. And then not too long after that, I felt called in the ministry, was blessed to be able to come on staff here and so then that one professional income became half of that professional income. And it's kind of ironic and we always say, you know, God has a sense of humor that you know, I, I started off chasing money and ended up where I did, but let me tell you, I wouldn't trade it for anything. Would not trade it for anything. There's no amount in the bank that could replace the peace that was felt by knowing we were following what he had called us to do, by stepping into what he had for us instead of stepping into my own bank account or to, to what I wanted for us. He provided for us in so many different ways. You know, um, when we made that step to come on to church or come on to the staff, we needed to sell our house. We had built a house and it was one of those that we thought it was gonna be our forever house. But it was just a thing. It was just a thing. But we, we sold it and we're blessed that we, we made a good bit of money on that. And, and that along with the sale of our second house, which I'm not gonna say ironically, but God ordained we sold the second house that we had downsized to, we sold it right before the economy went kind of bad in 2008, 2009, and we were able to make some money on that. And that enabled Lisa to stay home for 11 years until all of our kids were in school to be there with them, which we felt God directed us to do. I can remember a time when, when a visa bill came, a credit card bill came, and I was, as you can imagine, I was on top of finances usually, but for some reason this one caught me off guard, not sure why or how, but wasn't sure about how 
where the money was gonna come from to pay that. And just was looking through some things and found a check from my previous company for an, an expense check that somehow I had overlooked and came upon it and it was basically the amount of our bill. Now, the problem was is enough time had passed that most banks wouldn't cash it. Just so happened that the bank that I went to, the person running the window used to be in our youth group here, said, let me talk to our manager, see what we can do. They cashed the check. God provides in a lot of different ways. The Israelites, if you remember, they walked through the wilderness and their shoes didn't wear out. Well, we were blessed to have nieces and nephews older than our kids and we didn't very often have to buy clothes for our kids because my brother and, sister and Lisa's sister, they, they bought brand name, really nice clothes, and then their kids grew out of them, and guess who benefited from it? We did. So we get hand-me-downs, and as our kids started sports, we didn't have to buy spikes and basketball shoes because we had hand-me-downs, and just all kinds of ways that you might just look and say, was that really God? Well, yeah, I believe that was God because he was providing for us. He was taking care of us not because of how good we were, but because we had made that decision to surrender to him. And he was living true to his word that says, test me in this. Return to me and I will bless you. I will take care of you. We had made that decision to live by it and he has been true to it ever since. So as we talk about this, as we talk about returning, returning the first, and pastor's gonna elaborate on this, really know that it's not about it's not about what you give. It's not about the money. It's not about stuff. It's about your heart. That's right. He wants to be first because he knows that when we place him first, everything else will fall in line. So as you hear this, as we're talking about this, as we're teaching about it, no, it's not. God doesn't need our stuff. He needs our heart. Pastor, I just stole a little bit of your thunder, but I'll have you come and share. Preach it, Joel. No. Preach it. Preach it. <laughs> Yeah, so I'll, I'll come back to that question again. What place does God hold in your heart? Yeah. Talking about faith in the return, I said last week, remember, faith equals first. I like to look at it this way. I'm really big on the I do word, like when I do a wedding, that I do is really seriously. It's about with God settling, it looks like this. I do trust you. Abraham didn't wait until he had more sons and grandsons to be willing, to become willing to sacrifice his son to, as God commanded. No, he obeyed God. He offered his first and only. That sounds a lot like our heavenly father, does it not? In fact, he's famous for his faith and he made the hall of fame in, in faith in Hebrews 11. It reads this way, verse 17. It was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. God was doing the firstness test on Abraham. Abraham, who had received God's promises, were ready to sacrifice his only son, Isaac, even though God had told him, Isaac is the very son through whom your descendants will be counted. Abraham reasoned that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again. And in a sense, Abraham did receive his son back from the dead. You remember the end of the story, what God provided, a lamb in the thicket for sacrifice. A ram, I should say. So God asked... And he asked for Abraham's first, but ours as well. And he was willing to return his only son and say, it came from you. He came from you. He stepped out on the only things he had to go on, the promise of God and the faithfulness of God in the past. But it was enough. He trusted the promise of God when he said, I am your provider. Look to me. 
I grew up hearing pastors, I believe, mistakenly say something like this at offering time. And now, ushers, if you'll come, we'll take the offering. Don't ever let me hear you say that, staff. No, we will not. We only receive what you're willing to return and give. We don't take anything. We don't, we don't rob people. It's not what we do. You'll never trust God with the rest until you trust him with the first. That's what Pastor Joel, that summarizes what he was saying. You'll never, you'll never be faithful with much until you're faithful with first things. When we say, if we say that God is first and return the first portion to him, that's where the rubber meets the road. That's where we walk our talk. In other words, showtime. What's more powerful to people looking at our lives, what we say or what we do? I wrote a little jingle. If you say God is first in your life, your financials will show it and your accountant will know it. Our spending patterns clearly show who's in first place in our hearts. Who's in first? I thought who's on first, that little Laurel and Hardy sketch. I so believe what Joel was, was emphasizing, that when he's first, that firstness factor, this flows to every area of our life and there's alignment. And that's why so many of our lives are out of whack. Have you ever had a car that was seriously out of line? What does that do to your tires? It just messes up everything. But if God is first in our economy, in our world, in our culture, you'll be able to stand no matter what because he's on the throne and he rules. I said, he's on the throne, he rules. We're gonna sing about that in a little bit. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove. He still does. God's word says that when we put him first, when we come to grips with his firstness, he'll rebuke the devourer with truth for your sake. When you put God first, when he is first, he'll redeem, he'll bless, and he'll protect the rest. You have his word on it, and you can take that to the bank. That won't bounce. Malachi 3.11a says it, and I will rebuke the devourer for your sake. I'm not teaching this today or this series in a legalistic sense. I'm giving you a heads up, that hot tip that I mentioned, that first of the first fruits is a biblical life-giving principle of blessing rather than living under a curse of our own I know better. God said this, but I'm gonna do this. God said he's first, but I'm gonna have him third or fifth or sixth in my heart. God has not changed, so his promise of blessing is still in effect, and it's the key to living in freedom. God said, my word will not return void. We believe in the inspired word of God, that it's living and active, and it cuts to the very heart and the motive. I ask people this, I love to say, would you, would you rather try to navigate your life with everything you, you make and, and all of that of your income and, and, and truly be cursed because you're doing it your way? Or would you rather make it through life living on, on what the, the rest that God blesses when you put him first? I wanna tell you, I'm into putting him first. How about you? The first portion I've been teaching releases the blessing. So money is a means to an end. It's, it's presently, I guess you'd say, the commodity that represents time spent. You know, we spend so much time, and, 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 and when we return the first portion of this to God, this is the closest we'll ever get to that, that deep human sacrifice. When you return God's tithe, you're literally giving yourself to God. Did you know that? Symbolically. 
In fact, I would echo Romans 12, 1 from the message that says, so here's what I want you to do. This is current, this is relevant. God helping you, that's key. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around life, that kind of summarizes it, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. In other words, he wants you to hug him back. Okay? Hug him back. Well, I had Pastor Andrew do some research on some, some pretty relevant from several sources to find some stats, and, uh, and I wanted to, to, to delve into some of those. I pared it down, but I, I brought it through up, and, and I'll say I think we're on life support if, if these stats are true. And I'm not just talking about this church. I'm, I'm talking about the body of Christ. But here's, here's, here's some statements. From 1990 to 2015, faith donations have dropped by 50%. In America. Wow. That means, you know, missions, uh, uh, parachurch, whatever. In the church, 80% give 2% or less of their income. And I said give because I didn't say return because a return is a tenth. That's a tithe. 5%, and there's estimates. I just took a middle number. 5% of church attenders return God's tithe, 5%. 77% of tithers return actually from 11 to 20%, so even more. That's interesting. Regular attenders give double what occasional attenders give. I don't think that should be surprising. We have many people now online that faithfully, faithfully return. The Lord bless you for that. Here's an interesting stat. Eight out of 10 people who are faithful returners have absolutely no credit debt. And I'm not talking about something you pay off at the end of the month, but I'm talking, no accumulated consumer debt like that. Huh, isn't that interesting? Because that's why a lot of us don't give, because we're so strapped with that stuff that we don't think we can. Um, Christians now give a smaller percentage than they did in a great, the Great Depression. Anybody know, hear about the Great Depression teens back in the 30s, 1900? Do you remember 1900s? Some of you weren't even born then. Okay, they said that the average person, their weekly giving looks like this, $17 per week, 73 per month, 884 a year. Some of you go, boy, I want that bargain. And now smaller donations and impulse-based giving. You know, if my heart will throw some scraps or some leftovers to God because that kind of touches, touches my heart, that's on the rise. And online giving is a favorite way that people return and donate. It's, it's, we're about 50-50 in this house, but, but that's growing reality. And it's interesting too, and I, I, they said one point that, that women are the most generous and, 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 and three-quarters of the regular givers are women in churches. Interesting. Did I hear any women say amen? amen. So be it. Christians across the globe, basically, they calculated, have an income of $15.2 trillion, that's trillion dollars. They gave $270 billion, billion dollars to faith organizations. That amounts to about 1.8% of their total income. In America, Christians earned $5.2 trillion. They gave $92 billion to churches and parachurch organizations, faith groups. This equals 1.78 of our collective income, and that means basically that the world has a higher percentage than the most blessed nation on earth in history. Do you remember some time ago, and I I didn't really update it, but 
startling statistics were that in Orange County, which was long the most affluent county in America, I don't know if it is now, but certainly one of the most, the average giving per person was less than $500 a year for charity. Well, Lordship, reality check. The passage that Pastor Joel alluded to in, in Malachi, God doesn't tell us to pay him with the tithe. No, he tells us to prove him with the tithe, with the return. He's challenging you to apply the law of first things to your life and family, to experience family life in a way you never thought possible. And I can't tell you what that looks like. That's the only problem with having a testimony because you think God's gonna do exactly for me what he did for Pastor Joel and Lisa. No, it'll, be, it'll have your fingerprint on it. It'll be really good. He does so with this warning and disclaimer. Are you ready for it? Beware, watch out. When you put me first, when you do this, you'd better be prepared. You'll not have enough room to, to contain the blessings that will follow because blessing follow obedience. Don't compare to anybody else, but get ready. Why? Because the secret is in Matthew 12, 6, 21. Your heart will be where your treasure is. That's why he's after your heart. The heart and treasure, if you will, junction and run on the same road together. If God has your heart, he has your treasure. No other gods, only me. I'm not proclaiming this truth because God needs it. He doesn't. He owns all that is, but for your sake. You need God's blessing on your life, your family. And I'm giving you that hot tip that will change and rearrange your life priorities once and for all. Because you say, I do. You're first forever. My heart breaks to see so many children of God living so far beneath their privilege because we don't understand or take to heart God's principles. We fail to walk in God's blessings because we're not living fully under the canopy of his divine favor where he wants us to be. We tie God's hands in essence when we do it our way. Even though God can do anything, he won't violate that principle. And many are living under a curse really because they're reducing and limiting God. No, we don't agree with you. This throws the door wide open for the enemy to legally invade your life and your home and your family. It's an open invitation. Come up, pull a seat up to the table. Come on in the family room. And many of you are struggling for this very reason. You're not putting God first and that's it. God is always first. No other gods. This teaching isn't about money. This is about first. The first release and the first return. God always first. If he's Lord of your life, then you're redeemed, you're saved. If he's not Lord, you're under a curse and you're vulnerable to the devourer and he is welcome, has permission to just take a big juicy bite out of you. And so he will. This is not, I'm not talking about a question of God's love for you today at all. It's a question of his lordship over us, over your life, over your heart. In Matthew 23, 23b, we read these words that Jesus said in the New Testament, you should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. That speaks to the alignment again. The trickle down effect. 
The return of God's tithe, what belongs to him, is the primary way God has chosen and established to resource his work in this world throughout history. Now we think we have a better idea. It's critical because when you return God's tithe, you're reminded always that God is first. He'll never share this position with another. Every time you return God's tithe, you're declaring his firstness. He's honored and pleased. He says, well done, and it frees you to, to him to work powerfully in and through your lives in this world. I think about it. God's designed a plan that works throughout the ages. It's proven. How would the church that Jesus said, I'll build it and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. How would it survive if there weren't people like us that were faithfully putting God first? And I just want to give you a local heads up. What about this Worcester Naz? In these last three years, because of your faithfulness, God has blessed us in ways we've never known in my whole tenure here because you're choosing to put God first. We would not survive. There's churches that are going belly up because their people aren't putting God first because they're afraid. This is not about the state of the economy. This is a state of God's firstness. God's firstness has a lot to do with the economy, by the way. Or the lack thereof. So I was thinking one of my grands, I don't know how many by now have had braces, but one of them was showing me his braces. He has the kind on, the vanity kind, where they don't show up like wires. They don't stick out wires and they're, you know, I, you just keep changing them out little by little. And we were examining, see his tooth moving in the right direction. And I thought yesterday, I thought of two illustrations that help us understand this maybe a little better. Um, those braces are there for a reason. And you know what they do? They put constant gentle pressure on those teeth to gently move them in the right direction. Agreed? You know what, I mean, I say kids, I, get, I see you have braces, how long you have them? Oh, well, a year and a half, two years or whatever. But it's that constant gentle pressure. That's what God did. It's like going to a chiropractor, for example. They don't fix you one time, but they start pressuring those touch points. And over time, your body responds to that constant pressure. That's what God's firstness is like. Does that make sense to you? It's not like earth shouting, wow, the world changes in a day. You said I do, but God begins. You welcome that gentle pressure, consistent pressure to give direction to your life because God is first in all things. I thought that was a great illustration, didn't you? Isn't it amazing what the Lord can give you out of something like braces with saliva hanging off of them? You remember the quote from Tim Keller that a friend sent me, an idol is anything more important to you than God? Could somebody just say anything? Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything that you seek to give you what only God can give. That's what we call an idol. And we read in 1 John 5, 21, dear children, that's us. Keep away from anything that might take God's place in your heart. So what place is God in your heart? Could you look at, look me in the eye, what place is God in your heart? Only you can answer that. Would you go there? Would you go there? Would you go there? If he's not first, your life is not in order. Your life isn't all it can be, should be. He wants it to be. God first. I can't say that long enough, often enough. One of the greatest dangers I see, and I'm done, is trusting in the things God gives us rather than God the giver. That's so subtle. 
And herein lies a grave danger to your spiritual life. I mean, pride and greed and self-sufficiency or whatever. There's a temptation to put your trust in the wrong place. So many times we ask God to provide for needs when he already has. He's given to us and through us. And the blessing, the first release and the return is the key that releases his blessing. God is into the order of it all. Never stop putting your faith and hope in your provider with a capital P. He provides for all your needs. Place your faith always in God and never in his gifts. God, always first. Could I hear some yeses or some amens out there today? I'm telling you, put him to the test. He'll come through.